Brad, we're the alternative podcast, okay? <laughs> Speaking of which, since we're the alternative podcast, I need to prompt something out of you because of our guest, okay? Okay. So when I think of Broadway Calls and Ty and these guys, they're, they're very Oregon, you know, to the yeah. point that, you know, there's the shape of Oregon on a lot of their records. They have a song called Back to Oregon. So I didn't do this to them, you know, they did it to themselves. And of course, you know, they played a lot of shows in Portland, which you famously have dropped the line to me that you played a show in Portland while somebody was butchering meat. It wasn't Portland. It was it was in Bend, Oregon. So can you tell me the context of this story, please? It's funny because I was just telling the story two weeks ago on Discord to our patrons, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. You weren't there yet. I think you were late to the chat, my friend. Thank you to our lovely patrons. <laughs> sorry for making Brad repeat this story. but I don't know what brought it up. Oh, we were talking about because <laughs> Neil was talking about butchering <laughs> deer. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, and so, yeah. So the story is we were on tour in like 90. I think it was 94. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the fall of 94. We had just picked up Big Drill Car in like mm -hmm. Seattle. and Or they picked us up. We were opening for them. And we played Portland. And then we went to Bend and we were playing like this roller rink. Um, but it didn't, it's not like Fireside Bowl where you're like playing in the rink. I think the rink was like a separate. In fact, I think the rink was where this story <laughs> centered was that... <laughs> We got in, we did sound check, and then I, like, as you do, like, we had come in late, so we basically, like, loaded onto the stage, did sound check, and then I went looking for the dressing room, mm -hmm. and, you know, I walked behind the stage, there was a door, and I opened the door, and it opened into this huge space, which I assume must have been the actual roller rink. Um, right. And, like, but just, like, on the other side of the door, like, within, like, 10 feet of the door, there was a circle of men. <laughs> <laughs> In, in flannel, like, and a humongous, like, buck hanging upside down, like, gaping open <coughs> with its, like, guts hanging out. And they're, like, drinking beers and they're, like, cleaning this deer. What? I mean, it was like, you know, it's like, it's like one of those movies where you're, like, you know, the guy's going opens the wrong door yeah. uh, <laughs> and there's like a bondage there's like a bondage scene going on you know like yeah the did they all like stop and turn <laughs> they at all you stopped and looked at me and i'm <laughs> you know with my like bleached hair and my whatever yeah. fucking little overnight bag or whatever something. like extreme outfit i had on at the moment and like <laughs> they just stopped and looked at me and started laughing at me like they were la <laughs> they were laughing that i walked into this i think i said oh this isn't the dressing room <laughs> <laughs> all right so give me some context here that's literally the whole how, story <laughs> how many how many men were there there was like four and so where what, what do they have this buck tied up to the ceiling yeah yes so there's a hanging from the rafters from the ceiling yeah. four men drinking beer are we tarped like what's going on in the ground? I got to. They were a lot sitting on something. I can't remember whether they were sitting on like you know empty like cases of beer, but they were sitting on like they had they had like they they had this area kind of set up around where the deer was hanging, and they were okay. sitting around. One guy was standing with a big bloody knife, 
And the other guys were kind of sitting around drinking beers. <laughs> you know, what, what's interesting about the, well, there's many interesting layers to this, but it sounds almost as if you walked into like a ritual, like uh, some sort of Freemason thing where they were taking this blood and doing something out of it. Did you investigate afterwards? Did you tell your bandmates? Like, Oh, yeah. I told the band right away. <laughs> I ran back and I'm like, guys, you're not going to believe this. Go through Did that you door. bring them to see it or you, you didn't want to go I just told them, like, go, go, go look through the door. That's what I told them to do. Okay. So did you ever have an explanation of why this was happening? At the roller I, rink? I, I feel like I asked, I feel like we may have mentioned it, like, to the, but it was like one of these, it was like one of these, like, all ages shows, and like the promoter probably didn't even know what was going on. He's like, you know, like, it wasn't a regular right, venue. Right. They were just like, they were just like renting a space at this place to do a show kind of vibe. Yeah. Or, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't think I ever got, a, I'm pretty sure I never really got a full explanation of like who they were or why they were allowed to butcher a deer in the bend roller rink. But I will add a little note here that there's actually um, a live video posted on YouTube. If you look up like the goops at bend, it's like probably one of the best live videos I've seen of the goops online. So, Oh, so you were, you were inspired by this bloodletting. Yeah. It looks like it was probably a good show and it's a you good played great. video. Yeah. Oh it's God. a good video. Got the taste of elk blood on my mouth. Feeling good. <laughs> ready to play the gig. <laughs> that's a funny one that's a random never heard that yeah that's that was, a first that was pretty extreme it's so oregon <laughs> it's, or something like that it's very and that's Northwest. what i was joking with ty about before this interview is like you know i i read like the history of these places and they're like oh the town like founded in like 1870 and and this and i really i have this like maybe it's because of the game oregon trail you know, maybe it's, you know, because of just films I've seen and stuff. But I feel like even now, they're still so much closer to being like frontier people than we are, you know? Oh, yeah. The Northwest. I mean, it's kind of the yeah. last frontier in a way, even though it's not a frontier. It just has that feel to it for sure. I mean, which is insane because I've been to Portland and Seattle, you know, that's. Yeah. Portland's the last town you'll find someone bloodletting an animal in the middle of. I mean, half the restaurants are vegan. Yeah. You know? So it's certainly changed. But I do feel like it's one of those towns. Hey, what is that movie, too? I think Black Sheep, that Chris Farley, David Spade movie, where they go just a little bit out into the woods out in the Northwest. And it's like some real, real down home shit kicker stuff. Right. You know, it's there, man. It's definitely <laughs> it's there. there. So I always imagine, you know, when Broadway Calls gets home. They like take off their punk rock shirt and put on like a really, really thick flannel, like Mr. Rogers, you know, right. Some, some kind of scene I mean, like that. I, you know what? It's the thing when you're like so used to New York being your metro area, you forget that like, I always forget when I go to visit these other places, like whether it's like Austin or, um, not so much LA, but like, yeah, like Portland or Seattle, like you can have these like Uber sort of tuned in liberal enclaves, but like you drive like 20 minutes and yeah. you can kind of get the total flip. Whereas like in New York, like in New York City, you got to drive a long drive way. Like ni 90 minutes at <laughs> yeah. least. Yeah. You can get it. You drive upstate New York and you yeah. can get yourself some hilly billies, but sure, you ain't going to sure. do it in no 20 minutes, you know? No, you got to get the <laughs> Northwest Jersey. 
the <laughs> Pennsylvania border, yeah. like devils, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like the, but the you Jersey also, devil territory. But the yeah. other thing that really impresses me, which is we can't, he kind of mentioned at one point, which is that like how quickly you can get into just like absolute nature too. Like, yeah, that's right. the thing. When anytime I go to Seattle or Portland, I'm like, you know, you walk out of one of those trendy coffee shops and there in the distance is, is, is a snow covered peak, like yeah, literally like looming over sitting. the city. Yeah, but, that's true. I remember when I was living in Nashville, we were, you know, I was shocked at the fact that I could drive 15 minutes from where I was living to like this beautiful national park. I couldn't even hear a car. Like yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. But thanks for Ty for coming on. Uh, Broadway calls is a, uh, a great group. I'm a, Big fan. We didn't talk about it on the show, but I do think I had something to do with them getting signed to side one dummy. Uh I think I might have just advocated for them when I knew they were interested. I'm like, you got to sign this band. They're great. Um, I've always been a big fan of their songs and happy that they're, you know, got some back together again with Sad in the City on Red Scare and and are actually uh, functioning and making music and good friends still. And it's it's a great story of childhood friends making it through and still being a rad band it's it's really what we believe in over here at going off track right absolutely the the high school band makes good i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But, uh, yeah, let's get in the interview. You know, I do like my podcast is one room. She's like, it's like, you know, you were just like hollering, right? <laughs> and I, re- I realized I have these like noise canceling headphones. And I don't oh. get myself back through them. Right. Uh-huh. So I think whatever she's hearing outside the door sounds like maniacal probably. <laughs> I, I can already half not hear. And then I'm wearing noise canceling headphones. I, I can't imagine the volume. <laughs> but here's the thing. She's worse than me. One time early on in our relationship... We were in a hotel watching a movie, both passed out and got a knock on the door from like front desk saying we had a complaint that our TV was too loud. (laughs) (laughs) What's the TV on? (laughs) It was certainly on. We were watching a film of some sort. I mean, my only guess is, you know, we may have been in a bit of a state when we fell asleep, but I, I don't know. I thought it was a little out of line. You can call the front desk for that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a bit much. Yeah, too much. Hey, Ty. How, go, how goes it? <laughs> it goes well. Thanks for coming on. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, dude. I'm uh, 
I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm hoping my dog doesn't go wild during this conversation. Oh, that'd be cool. And, oh, uh, it happens. But, okay, I, I kind of figured it happens. It's just like something that happens. But um, yeah, dude, what, I'm doing what good. What do you got? What do you got going on over there, dog wise? Uh, we got a little three year old named Desmond. Uh, he's an Australian Shepherd, Ooh. and uh, he's he's rowdy. And, but I took him out. We were running around all morning, and so uh, hopefully he's chill for a bit. You got some good uh, hiking around you, good stuff for dogs? Uh, yeah, we do. We do. I wasn't doing that this morning, though. I was just running around in our backyard. Um, okay. We, yeah, just getting muddy back there. So you're back in uh, – Are you, you're living in Rainier again or that area? In that area, yeah. I'm in St. Helens, which is between Portland and Rainier, which is where we grew up. Yeah. Is is St. Helens the Mount St. Helens? It's named after that because yeah. you can you can see that from here, but I'm in right. Oregon and that's in Washington. Yeah, but you were you grew up like right on the border, right? Like Oregon and Washington was right there. Yeah, totally. Um Rainier, Oregon is right on the Columbia River, which is the border of Oregon right. and Washington. And uh we we're lucky to live across the river from Longview, Washington, which had a small like uh, scene there. You know, they so every, like, I mean, with with only a river prevent. Was there like any beef? <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, we were towns like Oregon. Not, not, I mean, punk kids always get along, but was there like any kind of like old school like town beefs there where like you overheard when you were a kid? You're like damn Washingtonians coming over the bridge again, fucking shit up. You know, it was really weird. All the beef remained on the Oregon side. It was just uh, amongst oh. these like amongst <laughs> these like tiny towns all on the border kind of hated each other uh, for various reasons, you know. Oh, like dumb, dumb historical local beefs and whatnot. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's mostly just like it was, you only heard about that shit in high school. You know, it was just like high schoolers <laughs> hating each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was reading, I, I didn't realize this, but the town you lived in growing up was like a, you know, right, I hadn't realized you were like right at the foot of Mount Rainier there. Um, I And it kind of made me think how much of your childhood is tied to like the outdoors, the mountain itself and, and things like that. Like, did you ever get into mountain activities? Do you know people got <laughs> heavily into climbing or anything like that? No, 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 no. Like we are pretty far from the mountain actually. Like, Oh, okay. Um, the, a lot of my friends got into like, you know, winter sports and they go up to Mount Hood for that. Cause it's just like really close to Portland. Um, oh. but Mount Rainier and Mount and Mount St. Helens, they're, they're like, Josh lives kind of close to Mount St. Helens. He lives up in Castle Rock, Washington. And, okay. uh, Oh, Castle um, so, Rock, like Goonies. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I can't believe you moved. Yeah. Oh my God. He can't believe yeah. moved. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Um. All right. So I got the impression for some reason I was doing research on this town, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know Ty grew up like at the foot of the mountain. I thought like, <laughs> and and I've been really into. Uh, I got kind of into these climbers. I think like a lot of people, I got into that free solo documentary. About um, Alex Hunnell, the guy who, you know, climbs mountains without ropes and then, uh, you know, bought some books on it and just watched the Alpinist. And I'm like, kind of feeling like maybe I should climb some mountains, you know? I just walked in um, the other night and watched like the last half hour of the Alpinist. That shit Wild, was huh? emotional. Yeah, that was so good. 
Yeah, I think I'm fascinated, like, almost in the same way of people who are driven to kind of get into our profession in some way. It's usually driven from, like, you know, sort of a strange place, not always a positive place. And I'm sort of seeing this similarity in, like, these real, like, adventure, you know, the really hardcore adventure people um, where they seem to be, like, kind of freaks, you know, and like, <laughs> and like really eccentric and like in the same way we found like punk rock shows, they found some sort of like solace and climbing alone and doing things alone. And it's like the only place you feel comfortable. So much of it seems to stem from like social anxiety and like these people being like super eccentric, you know, I think it's drawn me to it a little. Yeah, that's awesome. I only saw the end of that documentary, The Alpinist, and like... Yeah. He was just, yeah, he's, he reminded me of so many people that I had met, you know, along the way playing music, just like, just a little sweetheart, but a little bit weird. You know what I mean? Like just, just very, uh, he was very familiar, his personality. Yeah. What do you think it is? Like what, what's that driving factor? Like, like that you saw in, in the people you recognize with that kind of trait, like, like, you know, a little offbeat from society, but, but like, you think it's, I guess the question I have is, um, I find some of it really like incredible, you know, where apparently this guy has, you know, oh, I feel a little left to center. I'm not doing well with school. And then his mom allowed him this, you know, growth to go into this type of field, if you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. by like 18 years old is doing like the most insane shit. But never would, you know, like he needed the freedom to go do that. And I think it's, I wonder with these people, it's like, it's like if you didn't give them this, would they be in a lot of trouble or are they, oh, like, yeah. or are they causing trouble for themselves, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. Because, yeah, they, they, he, that guy seemed like he needed to do that, you know? Just yes. like there's so many people that I know that play music that it's like, it's their life and that's that, you know? And so, yeah, I think that, like you mentioned, like his mom gave him the opportunity to do that. Like that's, uh, that was vital. And, and that reminded me a lot of, of my situation too, where it's just like, we were very encouraged to, uh, make noise in the basement. It didn't matter how loud we were. You know what I mean? Like nice. just, uh, as long as we, cause then at least they knew where we were, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, right. And, and uh, and we weren't really causing any trouble. You we were just being loud, you know? And when um, you say we, who are you, who are you referring to at that time? I, I'm talking about like, I'm still talking about Josh. Yeah. Like yeah, same, yeah. same, same guys we, I play with now. Yeah. Josh right, and Adam. Yeah. And, uh, nice. yeah. and like, you know, we had our friends, other friends that we grew up with that we all kind of like played in music together. I'd, probably, I'd say there's a group of like 10 people, you know, they've all like been in bands together that we've, that we've known. And uh, that's like the core group, you know what I mean? That's Since so we were sick. teenagers, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Were your were your parents like uh active attendees of shows? They'd wear t shirts, like get that into it, or they just kinda opened up the house as like a creative place? Oh uh, no, yeah, both. Very much. Nice. Yeah. Uh, nice. my dad was working a lot. Like my dad worked a lot when um he just got to retire last year, which is awesome because what what kind of work is he in? Um he was uh he worked in a mill, like a wood mill for a long time. Okay. Like, and then he became a union organizer gotcha. out of, from, from working in the mill. And then, huh. uh, that kind of 
that just like stopped. There was like the funding for that dried up, I guess, or something, you know? Right. And then, and then, uh, he went back to work in, uh, like a industrial bakery until he got to retire. And so oh, he wow. was just like, you know, he was just like a, a hard worker. And my Fucking mom worker, yeah. was like, my mom was the one who like raised not just her kids, but like all the kids or, you know what I mean? Around the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, we would just like, um, she would take us to shows and stuff, you know, like we, t- she would drive us to shows before we could drive, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like get us over to Longview to the VFW shows so we could watch the local bands over there, which were really, really good. Like Longview. Who were some, had- who were some of the bands? <clears throat> there was a um, first one that comes to mind is this band called the Wannabes. Okay. Uh, they, I think they put out a, re- a record on like, um, like it wasn't Lookout Records, but it was like a an offshoot. It was like Ben Weasel's like like oh, label yeah. from that or something. Vaguely remember that, yeah. Yeah, and then like um, there was a band called the Jimmies, and they were on Lookout Records for one record. Um, so like, just they were hugely inspiring to us. We were you know fourteen, fifteen, and yeah, and watching these bands and just uh, wanting to play those shows. And so we started we, when we were like 14 or 15 is when we like started playing music together. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, well, I heard uh, about uh, an uncle, like a real cool uncle who taught you how to play guitar. And um, what, what was his vibe? Yeah, dude. Um, my uncle Dan, he was huge influence on me as a kid. Uh, he, it was just so cool to have, you know, one of those people in the family, like what we were talking about earlier, just like music was his thing, you know? And, uh, was he like an active musician when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he was always recording. He was always making his own records uh, where where he would just, he was a drum machine. You know, this is like the late eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Impressive for that time. Yeah. That's like, you're on some Trent Reznor <laughs> shit if you're doing that. In the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No shit. And like, and I remember, like, I still remember one of his riffs, like, very clearly because I was like, this is so cool sounding, you know? Oh, like, really? I was, nice. I was just like obsessed with electric guitar and how it sounded, yeah. you know, uh-huh. as a kid. And, uh, and yeah, he, uh, he definitely showed me some, some tricks. He, he, he always got on me for not using my pinky finger enough on my left hand, (laughs) (laughs) which I still don't do, but, uh, I think about that quite, quite often. Yeah. What, uh, what kind of music was he into? Um, all kinds. I mean, he was a rocker for sure, but like towards the end he was, he was like more into surf guitar. He passed uh, a few years ago from cancer and, uh, thank you. But he was, yeah, he was a badass, and he played like, he was really into like Dick Dale type surf rock guitar shit. You know what I mean? That kind of oh. stuff. And, uh, yeah, he, when he passed, I inherited his strat, his Stratocaster, oh, which sure. was like, nice. it was just like, it's like the most beautiful like thing that he had ordered from Fender in the nineties specifically for like the, his like surf, you know, guitar oh, sound. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah, that's like, such a killer guitar. Um, yeah, he was a badass. Do you plan on playing that guitar out or is it like a home piece? Um, it's definitely a home piece. I played, <laughs> uh, I played a couple shows in Portland with it, but, um, and it was all, it's like all over our 
most recent record. I recorded with it, but I won't ever tour with it or anything. You're not, you're not tempting fate in a baggage, <laughs> in the baggage holes with that one. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm not flying. <laughs> like, I, we recorded in California and I, and I drove down there because I didn't want to fucking uh, fly with that guitar. You know? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, you mentioned it and, it, and it, it piqued my interest. Like, you know, I know Broadway calls, I guess, no, that's not true. You guys have had a, a political tinge at times. And I guess specifically like, you know, the, the video with the military recruitment and, you know, there's always been a socially conscious element to you specifically. D- did your dad being a union organizer and kind of, coming from that world like did you hear that as a kid kind of a a more you know level playing field sort of mentality on the world kind of vibe absolutely i it was never like um you know he was never preaching about it or anything and i i still have a lot of questions i still want to you know i still loving hearing about those days and and right, how he right. did that stuff um uh but yeah definitely he was always telling us you know that you know when he we learned at a very young age you never cross the picket line you know and like he we learned uh you know that he <laughs> my dad you know he hates being called if anybody friendly you know and when, when somebody like very friendly will call you a boss he just like hates that <laughs> <laughs> right. he's like he's like boss is a four letter word to him you know oh shit and, uh, yeah yeah uh, but yeah it's just it's a uh, yeah we learned that that you just watch out for the workers you know yeah yeah just a real age. like uh, like a sort of straight line with people. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't, yeah, don't, you know, uh, just be wary of authority in all, in <laughs> yeah. all shapes and sizes, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I realize now too, that my father was like subconsciously doing that to me. It wasn't, it wasn't too, you know, too heavy handed, but I realize now he was smart about it. Um, I've been reading a book recently where a lot of the context of the book is sort of uh, conservationists versus loggers, Um, you know, and then people like, how do you generally feel about like sustainable, like logging practice and things like that? I'm sure it's kind of a big deal out where you came from. And a lot of people work in that industry where like, if you would go to strictly conservation, a lot of people would lose their jobs and stuff. What do you, do you, do you have any opinion on like the balance with that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, um, that's a huge deal out here. And there's yeah. actually some really cool documentaries you can watch about it that were made by, um, Oregon public broadcasting. And it's just look up OPB on YouTube and you can find some really cool docs about it. But like they, uh, you know, the, yeah, I talked about that with my dad growing up a lot too. And recently even because he grew up working in a mill, you know, where they're just processing trees all day long. Yes. And, uh, but we, we do have beautiful forests around us everywhere. And, um, when we were younger, when I was a kid, logging was huge around here. And a lot of people did, you know, they, there's still a lot of logging, but not nearly as much there were, there were in the eighties. And a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, suffered economically for that. And, but at the same time now, you know, it's 2022 and I drive around and, uh, 
it seems to be pretty well managed around here. Like you, you'll just drive through the woods. There's a lot of logging roads out behind where I live. And right. I love to just go cruising out there whenever I can. And, oh. um, and it, you know, there, there'll just be a forest that's, you know, there'll be a sign there that says planted 1996 or whatever, you know, oh, or okay. planted right. 2010. And so they try to like present it as, you know, you chop down a tree, you plant two or whatever, you know? Right, right. And um, it seems like the mills and the government have kind of, uh, right now it seems to be balanced, from my opinion, but I have no hmm. idea anymore because I'm not in that, you know, I'm not in right. that environment at all other than driving through the woods. Did that Did that industry, you know, this? you talked about 80s and 90s, how it reduced, was the the, you know, was it actually a decrease in how much was coming out or was it technology like everything else? Cause I've seen some really bizarre machines on the internet that process trees that like cut them, grab them, you know, basically the thing is milled before it's even on a fucking truck. Like the thing is crazy. Um, was, was there any element like that? I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like, I, it got to the point where a lot of mills shut down. And, and so I think that it just, the entire economy, like the logging economy has shrunk greatly. Yeah. Uh, And there's, and and it, but it might have been, you know, like you said, they might just not have needed those mills anymore for, for other reasons. I've just, I didn't, I haven't followed it that closely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting. I mean, even in the book I'm into, they, they talk about how a lot of the logging companies, you know, are are you know replacing trees but they're doing like monocrop forests you know where it's like basically lines of one type of tree oh yeah you yeah, know yeah. that that and like you know i guess the just whatever will be most profitable in the future yeah yeah like things they can go get and go get easily and the thing it's losing is like you know that old growth forest regeneration thing that's really good for you know, the air and surrounding environment and stuff. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's ugly. When you see a clear cut, it's ugly, you know, and there's right. no, it's, yeah. it's, there's no denying that. Um, it's like, and it's, but it's like, fuck, I live in a house made of wood. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, so. I know there's gotta be some, I've been trying for years now to figure out how to get a fucking, you know, I, I, I was raised Jewish, you know, I'm, and, so there is no Christmas tree in my fucking house, not even uh-huh. close. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mar- marry a white lady and, you know, she, she likes Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Christmas, like <laughs> we have kids, like let's do the Christmas thing. It's fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the biggest thing that bothers me is literally, it's not about having a Christmas tree. It's about cutting down a perfectly healthy tree and letting it die in your home. Yeah. That, that's yeah, the thing yeah. that fucking bums me out. <laughs> all the tassels and all like that stuff's nice, you know, Santa is yeah. cool, but I can't stand watching this thing fucking rot to death in my house. It makes me feel bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we moved to plastic uh, a few years back. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I did. Yeah. I might, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to sell it. It's a tough sell for someone with, you know, she's got nostalgia in the pocket. It's, it's for sure. I tried last year to buy a potted Christmas tree and, uh, you know, replanted after the Christmas season. But, uh, you know, we left it in the house way too long. It died, died two weeks before Christmas. Like, <laughs> I've never even heard, I've never even heard of that concept. Of it, yeah, yeah, it can work. I think in other climates, it could work a lot better because after Christmas, 
you still can't put anything in the ground here for another two or three months. Right. It's frozen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. Totally. So yeah. the idea is you're supposed to dress it up, keep it in the pot, keep it watered. After Christmas, you move it outside in the pot. Okay. Try to okay. keep it alive for a couple months, then get it in the ground. But uh, the more and more I do research on it, very few people are successful. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. think I think there's a reason this is not common practice. <laughs> <laughs> Out here, we're just more excited to burn them at the end of the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go in the back and burn the tree. Mm. Well, luckily now the one saving grace is that uh, Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan has a farm sanctuary. And uh, his goats like to eat Christmas trees. Oh, that's so, sweet. So yeah, I bring the kids and and a Christmas tree over, and and we feed it to goats. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's very sweet. Um, so we got to talk about countdown to life. Okay, I must have known about this when we were touring and stuff because there's we we hung out a lot, and yeah, uh, I'm sure I asked you about this. So you were in not only a hardcore band, but a really good hardcore band who did a few records and, and was out for a long time. And, Thank you. Uh, and you were like total guitar man shredder on, on, <laughs> in that band. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was pretty, yeah, it's different now, huh? Different, different, different well, style than what you, than what you, yeah, than what you, when you met us, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, that's part of what, what I'm asking is cause like, I'm curious well, hey, like, what, what was that band all about? Countdown to Life. Like, it sounds like your community around you was kind of more, you know, punk based and ska based. Like, how did you start a hardcore band in the early two thousands? Yeah, that was um, that was definitely like right after high school. We were playing in a band called Out of Touch, uh, and it was like spooky goth pop punk type stuff that our, okay. our friend, our friend Ben from Longview uh, was the singer and main songwriter for that band. And like, but it was still me and Josh and Adam and uh, Danny, who is like one of my best friends to this day. And we grew up, I mean, I've, he's been my friend since like we were nine. So he was always, he's always been part of the thing. That was the singer for countdown. So we were all in out of touch. And then that band kind of just like fizzled apart as they do. And, uh, we are like, all right, let's start a band where Danny is not playing keyboards anymore. Cause that wasn't very satisfying for him. He's going to be the front man. You know, he's going to scream. Cause he, we knew that he's, he has a great voice. He can write killer lyrics and yeah, uh, he's got a solid scream too. Yeah. 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 yeah he's so good. Yeah. And, and once we started with that band, we were, you know, we really started playing around Longview and, uh, the the local scene there, even though yeah, it was mostly like punk and ska for the last several years leading up to that, and we were part of that. You know, we played in yeah, yeah. Like our older bands before Countdown sound closer to Broadway Calls than okay. You know, they're like just three or four chord pop punk stuff, and then I was like, all right, let's try to let's try to Danny's wants to scream. So I guess we're a hardcore band, you know, <laughs> so, who were like, who were like the bands you were, you were digging on at that time that made you want to do a hardcore band? Um, very much like refused. Oh, okay. Uh, we listened to refused. We listened to like being out, out West. Um, we listened to thrice a lot, like the oh, older okay. thrice stuff, right? Like, because right. they toured up and down the West coast a lot. And so we would see them in, in really small rooms back then. Right. And, and they were like hopeless records back then. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, 
like that. And then, you know, we'd listen to Strife. Like I love Strife, yes. <laughs> you know, like, like this, like, uh, that was like probably the first like heavy hardcore band I ever heard was Strife. Oh, and one so, like, truth, baby. It still holds up. It's so good. It's yeah. good. It's still good. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, Good Riddance, we listened to Good Riddance, even though I didn't even ever consider them a hardcore band, but like they, they very much were. They were like hardcore yeah. adjacent, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. 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 Um, so that must have been sick. You wound up on New Age, like you're a big Strife fan and, you know, like. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 When we, went, like, when we met Mike uh, Hartsfield from New Age, it was a really big deal to us. And, and it really was like, um, cool that he wanted to work with us because we were actually like the first he told us we were the first not straight edge band that he put out is that right (laughs) yeah yeah just because he liked the music i guess so uh yeah and i'm still really proud of that record that we put out at new age like i i still listen to it from time to time like damn we were like we were we were fucking like banging Uh, i feel like we were firing on all cylinders musically like like yeah you know because now (laughs) we we've practiced recently uh, oh really like yeah and um just for fun sure like we were gonna we have an unreleased song we were gonna try to put out and like you know maybe write a new one and so we were like we were doing these we were playing these old songs we were like God damn, this is fast, dude. Like, but I haven't downpicked like this in, in hell. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it was, it's pretty funny to like, it's kind of humbling to try to play along with that record right now, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's cool. I, I I'm, I'm still happy that we did that for sure. Yeah. The record rips. It's so heavy. I, I was like, like I told you, I texted you earlier. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm like, let me check out Ty's old hardcore band. This stuff usually doesn't go well when you like investigate that <laughs> stuff, you know? And it's yeah. like 45 seconds in and I like, I, you know, my body's moving. I'm like, I'm ch- cause that was my shit too. Like I could listen to Strife and Refuse and every band you just mentioned, I could listen to all day long. So yeah. all the formulas were right there. And I'm like, yeah, I got hyped when I heard it. Um, yeah. I mean, that, and that was like the first band that we ever attempted to tour with also you know oh, like okay. so it was like yeah that was the the first that was like where we made all of our connections out there in the west coast sure. and like um you know that's kind of why when broadway call started we were only touring with hardcore bands because right. that's those are the only people we knew you know if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Was Countdown to Life touring and getting signed to New Age? Was that kind of what really wet your whistle to, to play music? you know, full time and really go for it? Or had you made that decision prior to that? Yeah, we, um, you know, we were never really successful touring, you know, we, like our, we would have certain towns that we did well in, but we could never, we never came home with money or anything. Of course right. it was like, just, it was a struggle and, but we were very into it and we kept doing it. And, um, but we only did one full us tour And it was really cold and miserable. It was like, you know, in November, but it was rad. We were with this band called Where Eagles Dare from Arizona. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were such a blast to tour with and watch every night. And, uh, you know, but it was still like, after that, it was pretty obvious that we couldn't continue financially to do that. Right. And uh, Danny, our singer, he was just like, I can't tour anymore. I got to get a job, you know? And so... Uh, Josh and Adam and I, uh, we were like, well, we should keep going. And Adam couldn't either. He was like, I, you know, I just can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt was our old roadie on tour with us at the time. Oh, okay. And That's then, popped up. yep. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, so Josh and Matt and I started Broadway calls because we were like, all right. Countdown is still the priority. Like to me, in my eyes, I was like, Countdown Life is still priority. We're going right. to keep this going. Uh, but we need to start this side project to tour and make the van payments while Countdown <laughs> right, can't. Right. Oh, okay. Because uh, other than that, like I had no, like I had really had nothing keeping me home. You Wait, know what I mean? so let me get this straight. So you're just a hardcore kid. <laughs> and you yeah. started Broadway calls as like, I need, I need some hooks. I need a, a moneymaker to keep the van on the road. That, that's why Broadway Calls started. That's actually why it started, yes. <laughs> we, you know, and we didn't expect it to be like a moneymaker because we were just playing with like hardcore bands. And, yeah, yeah. and, and we were like, we were just kind of more considerate like a time filler. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, like a space yeah. filler sure. while Countdown couldn't tour. And then, uh, it kind of, after the first couple of Broadway Calls tours, we did like, 
uh, a West Coast tour with Daggermouth in 2006. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then we did like a full U.S. with Set It Straight out of California that last or that same summer. And after those two tours, it was pretty obvious that like Broadway Calls was going to be the priority from here on out because, because it was just like going really well. And, uh, you know, the other guys still couldn't tour. And so we're like, all right, let's just keep this going, you know? Mm. And it, and it was fucking fun. Like we were like this kind of music is what naturally comes out of me. You know what I mean? When I like the countdown to life stuff is really fun to play and write, but that is like more of a, um, is definitely more of a challenge. And it's like, it's, I love listening and playing that kind of music, but I guess just like the melodic, you know, the whole idea behind Broadway calls when we started, it was like, all right, let's just try to write some shit. Like we, listen to in the van. Like we were listening to a lot of Lawrence Arms and Alkaline Trio and Green Day and let's like, you know, none more black and stuff like that. And we were like, let's, let's do that. And, um, or attempt to do that, you know? And that was the and idea. Were you, were you writing lyrics and melodies in Countdown to Life or was this your, your first stab at it? Um, it was, it was my first stab at it, uh, in, since high school. Yeah, wow. I guess, you know Very what I mean? Impressive. Like, um, it was, I would help Danny with some minor ideas if he was like totally stuck, you know, lyrically or something. Right. But it was, that was countdowns, like basically all him. And, um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to do that first EP. It was like, we did a demo, um, before it has like six songs on it. And we toured on that, that in 2006. And, um, then recorded our first record that fall, I guess, like around like September or so, 2006. And, uh, so it was a really fast process, but it, it, the whole time I was like, damn, this is, yeah, this is cool. This is like, um, it it felt good to get these songs out because it, it, it is the kind of music that we, I really listen to a lot and, uh. And did you know you could sing like sing sing? Or, or, or not really. Yourself no. out there? Yeah, that was that was more. I mean, I could I had done that. I had like sung in bands in high school, you know. And but I, like I said, we were just kind of like, let's do this for fun. Let's see what happens. We got to fill some time, and then yeah, it just kind of turned into what it was. And, and you know, I got to give like Matt credit for all the harmonies and stuff that he did on that on like and to this day adam you know who continues he's been in the band since 2010 he like rejoined in 2010 and so um it's like right because i only toured with matt right yeah 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 dude we were in that damn that was so long ago 2009 yeah like 08 09 yeah so before we get off countdown the life okay i want to know when the last time you did a stage dive was? <laughs> oh shit! And some some context, please. Yeah, the last time I did a stage dive that I can think of at this at the top of my head was probably on tour with Set Your Goals ah. in um, England. In did the back the backstage jump? 
It was, yeah, it was a weird, it was kind of coerced out of me. Uh, (laughs) Their backstage jump often is, yeah. Their tour manager, their tour manager at the time was like pulling this trick where, uh, I don't think he was serious, but he was just being a dick and being like, if whoever wants in the support bands wants their per diems, you got to stage dive. (laughs) (laughs) So I did. Um, You went for it. Yeah, I did. And I don't have any regrets. That was pretty fun. I don't remember. Did you jump a barrier? Like, what's your style? You go back first? You try a little head walk? Uh, In Countdown, I used to stage dive with my guitar on. And um, that was probably really fucking dangerous and a bad idea for a lot of kids out there. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I know. um, um, I I got stabbed by a long string. Oh, oh, side fuck. stage watching Snapcase when I was a kid. I was so stoked to be up there. And I played it off and got to the car and was like, God damn, that is a pretty bad cut. <laughs> Dude, we used to do a lot of dumb shit. Like, I mean, guitars are dangerous. Josh used to blow fire at like uh, on <laughs> while he was behind his drum set. Dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he used to like fill up his mouth with some kind of alcohol and blow flames at the crowd. And, How does Josh uh, even know how to do that? Yeah. Uh, he he didn't. He, there was no training. <laughs> he just he just attempted to do it, and it worked out for a few shows. So uh, yeah, he hasn't that, done it in years. I, I I'm gonna see if he can still pull that party yeah, trick. That, that could have gone James Hetfield pretty fast. No good. <laughs> no good. Mm-hmm. That's fine. All right. And before this, since you were just a total axe axe man in Countdown to Life, what are if you can think off the top of your head, what are a few of your favorite heavy riffs of all time? all-time oh, heavy riffs Jesus. where you're like, oh, um, that is tasty. I mean, I, I would probably say, like, I don't... It sucks because I'm having troubles with names of songs, but the uh, there's, like, three Pantera songs that come to mind. Okay. <laughs> Just, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like uh, Dimebag was a fucking riff master, and he was a huge... Josh showed me, like, Josh... Josh grew up in Texas, I don't know if you ever knew that. Oh, right. But, yeah. Uh-huh. So he was like a Texas, you know, metal. He, he knew about that stuff. And I, I knew nothing of that. You know, I was never. Uh, so like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Pantera has the riffs. Um, Snapcase definitely has some fucking riffs. Uh, oh, yeah. Those dudes were a big influence um, when we were trying to come up with stuff. Um. Yeah, shit, man. I'm sorry. What's your go-to, like, you pick up a guitar and you're feeling a little chunky. What's your go-to, like, warm-up riff? Um, I know everyone's got one. Yeah, if I'm not, uh, if I'm in E standard, you know, like, just (laughs) like, like I'm not, I'm not tuning down, (laughs) then then I'll probably, uh, just keep it really simple, really simple and do the, um, uh, Rather be dead by refuse. That's just one note, you know. Nice. Uh, that one's easy too. Good. Yeah, that yeah. one's easy, and uh, it it lets you know like what your guitar is going to sound like when you're, right. chug, you know. That's awesome. um, yeah. Hey Ty, guess what I dug up for this? Tell me. I dug up five fun Oregon facts we can talk about. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> All right. What do you want? Most ridiculous first or least ridiculous first? Uh, give me least. All right. I'd say this is least would be, did you know that one fourth of the country's llama population call Oregon home? 
I did not know that. <laughs> well, they do. <laughs> Holy shit. Why, why, is it, why isn't that a bigger deal out here? I've never heard I, that. I, I, and I'm assuming it's all the clear cutting. Maybe maybe that's llama land now. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God damn. There's a llama conspiracy. Yeah. The llama lobby. The llama lobby is very powerful. Um, okay, this is the second. Okay, Boring, Oregon yep. has a sister town in Scotland called Dull. Oh, they that's even awesome. have an annual Boring and Dull Day. That's sweet. That one's fun. Yeah. Um, Oregon has more ghost towns than any other state in the country. Ooh. That kind of makes sense to me because I, in my, you know, I live, you know, at the crossroads of America, right? Like, you know, we basically created this place for all of you. Um, (laughs) Basically, yes. And so I imagine in my head, many like frontier towns that like popped up and then went away and stuff like that. That would be my explanation for ghost towns. Since I imagine you all as like one generation away from being like frontiersmen, you know? Yeah. I mean, there is weird infrastructure just like out in the woods. That, that you'll come across, you know, and it's like that used to be like, there used to be a mill here or something. And it's just oh, really? been totally abandoned. Yeah. You know, and that shit's really fun. Just like finding ruins of like, uh, just old shit, you know, <laughs> out in the middle did, of nowhere. Did you have any like cool paranormal, uh, uh, instances in any of these places? I haven't, but I've heard from people who have heard weird shit out in the woods, like very loud screams, you know, that they can't, yeah, it's probably some animal, but like, you know, they just, it freaks them out, you know, and uh, <laughs> As it I, I've heard, I've heard other, other, I've heard some scary stories. I haven't in, experienced anything too wild. I've seen like a light in the sky. I can't explain. And I have a witness, I had a witness with me and that was pretty fun. Um, but it wasn't, it, it was just, you know, sitting outside in my, in the parking lot after work, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't like out in the middle of nowhere. So you, so you have a corroborated light in the sky one. yeah yeah i do have a light in the sky uh, what's you one. said you've heard some what's the scariest ghost story you've heard first like firsthand account uh this is like two of my friends morgan and mark are surfers they surf on the oregon coast oh cool. and, and uh they just it, it, you know surfing on the oregon coast is pretty rough yeah, I didn't to, even know that was a thing, actually. Yeah. yeah, you have to be, like, all suited up. I, I guess, you know, the Pacific is cold, you know. And, right. Um, they were. They told me a story one day where they were just walking through the woods. And this might not be a ghost story. This might have been just some guy fucking with them. But, um, right. but they were walking through this little, you know, chunk of woods to the ocean, which is what most of the Oregon coast is like. It's, like, very heavily wooded. Right, not, right, yeah. And uh, they're just walking, and it's, uh, one, they just heard some guy say, "Hey," and and they're in the middle of nowhere, and oh they my God. they like these guys are like big dudes. They're not like you know, and they were together, and they're like they're not they weren't really scared at first, but they kept looking around, and looking around, and you know, yelling out loud like, "Who are you?" Like you know, who the like yeah, if you're yeah. there, come out. Like what do you want? You know, and. There was nothing. And, and so like, I don't know. That one always freaks me out because I'm just like, fuck, that would, if that happened to me, I'd be terrified. That, one, <laughs> that just gave me the little bit of goosey bumps. Like, I got yeah. some goosey bumps here and there. Yeah. It's scary, dude. And I, I can't imagine because to me, like an Oregon surfer is like, 
like kissing the lip of boulders and stuff on the way in. It seems like <laughs> rocky, dangerous, short of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you really have to know where to go. Yeah. 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 Oh man. A hay in the woods. Yeah. Just a hay in the middle of the woods. And like, it's, a, it's, like that's a pretty loud, out. like it was at like a noticeable volume. Or yeah. Like, and close. And it sounded they like, this was, this guy was like very close. Yeah, we don't know, you know, like that's fucked up. Yeah. What if it was like some dude who like found like a cave, you know? And if you like say hey in the cave like a mile away, like someone will hear it. <laughs> yeah, like someone, some, some spirit trapped out in the woods. Wow. Well, speaking of which, mm-hmm. this could have something to do with the story, actually. Okay. In 1938, 70 pairs of 10,000 year old sandals were found in a cave in central Oregon. What? And it took 70 years for researchers to realize they'd found the oldest shoes in the world. Wait, how old were they? Uh, 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 10,000 year old sandals. Wow. Damn. So that's like, that's like, uh, last ice age shit. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes when I dig deeper into history, I, I do think we have we're sort of out of touch with the way that like past civilizations lived. And when I see stuff like this, I'm like, you know what? This was like the pre Ice Age, like Nike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah if, some, if someone was busting out ten thousand pairs of sandals, they had a fucking <laughs> operation going. You know, there's like there's something going on there. People God, wanted yeah. those sandals. You know. I- I didn't even think about the number. That's an insane number. I was thinking about oh. how old they were. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I messed it up. It was 70 pairs. Oh, okay. Was like, okay. Year old okay. okay. So maybe not Nike. It maybe was, a little more niche Maybe a little nichier. Yeah. Still, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot, dude. Like 10,000 pairs of 70-year-old Nikes. <laughs> 10,000 pairs of Nike Air Maxes in the cave. Yeah. Why isn't this bigger news? 17-year-old Nikes. <laughs> Wait, when we get this all wrong. Oh, we messed it up. All right, and here's my last fun fact about Oregon I found, which all is right. just too funny. The now defunct North American Wildlife Research Team erected a Bigfoot trap in the Siskiyou National Forest in 74. It was kept baited with animal carcasses for six years. Holy shit. That's wild. So- yeah, so I mean, again, this is one of those stories. It doesn't sound like much, but I think about this. Who was responsible for six uh, whole years of their life filling a Bigfoot trap with animal carcasses? What a job. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you like met that person at a bar and they're like, yeah, I did this. <laughs> 70, 74 to 1980 is fucked up. You'd never believe it. They're probably volunteers. They probably didn't even get paid to do that. They're probably just all about yeah, it. You know? You're right. They, they just wanted just to. Just like Bigfoot enthusiasts. Yeah. Just killing yeah. animals to bait Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> so that one was funny. Do you think Bigfoot was a real thing? I, I don't see why not. You yeah, know? Probably like, right. Like, I, the only thing that's weird is that there's no fossils or skeletons, been, you know, remains mm. found. But. Maybe they have a way of dealing with their dead. I don't know. You know? Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know? The the Bigfoot subspecies burns their dead or something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. all I know is that I don't know. You know? I, yeah, exactly. I'd like to believe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's talk a little more about music. Okay. 
because I can talk <laughs> about dumb shit like this forever because it's too much fun. Um, so we talked about it before a little, like I've always found, you know, and I'm listening back to older Broadway calls and, you know, the the record, you know, you just did on Red Scare, or I, I guess not just anymore mm-hmm. since the pandemic, but, yeah. you know, you're always like such a good hook writer and there's always like these really nice melodies and hooks inside of, you know, almost everything you do. And I always wonder like to you, like what's the sign of a good hook and how do you know you have one when you're writing it? I really appreciate that, dude. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I, I think it's just, if it gets stuck in my head, you know, um, like I also really trust Josh and Adam with songs and song ideas. And so like, if I have just even a rough idea, uh, you know, I'll try to, I'll try to get a verse and a chorus written and then bring it to them, you know? And Mm -hmm. if it's, if it goes good, you know, like they're not shy about being like, this needs to be better, you know? And, and, and it's really good for me to like, uh, improve the shit, you know, after, after bringing them a rough draft like that, you know? So that's sort of your perpetual sounding board a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's nice. It's like we, you know, it's very much like it feels to me like a songwriter producer partnership. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And like where those guys really steer the way the songs end up, you know, finally. And I kind of bring the the melody and the chord progression, you know, and then uh, we make a song out of it. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I saw in another interview you said going into sad in the city that that Josh was actually like, you know, kind of the fire starter in some ways. And he was bringing ideas and kind of getting it, got it moving and got the ball rolling again. Like, did he, does he bring song ideas as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, you know, I t- definitely give him credit for the motivation behind us making another record. Um, Cause I just kind of thought we, weren't going to do that anymore. You so know? he's truly the Lars Ulrich of Broadway. <laughs> I, is that is that Lars's role in Metallica? Is he's he's it is. he's responsible for keeping them going. You know what? I can personally say with authority that Lars Ulrich is cc'd on every Metallica business email. Damn, he's good the for dude. him. He is wow. like the dude. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I never knew that. Um, little more respect for for Lars. I feel like he takes a lot of shit. I, he does. I, he dude. doesn't he have does a lot to... of allies in the world these days. Yeah. I'm a Lars guy. I, good he's been for, an yeah, asshole. Good. You know what I mean? He knows what he is. But yeah. I love Metallica. And he's the reason I still have Metallica, you know? Yeah, Metallica's so, great. So I have... respect for that. You know? Yeah. Well, so, good. good so, what was, so Josh was bringing... So, bringing so yeah, Josh is, Lars. Josh is Lars. Yeah, Josh is Lars. <laughs> Josh is Lars. Who's that? Uh, Adam's the old bass player. <laughs> with not, the long, with the long hair, what? not Cl- not Cliff. Oh, okay, Jason. Newstead. <laughs> Jason okay. Newstead. okay. I was like, oh, don't don't spinal tap drummer Adam. No, That's no good. Never. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, Josh was. He's a great fucking songwriter. Um, oh, okay. He he has a band. He had a band called Wonderly Road that he did with Adam and his brother oh, yeah. Robert, who. His brother Robert played guitar on the first Broadway Calls record. Right, full length. I saw that. Yeah. Um. So uh, that band called Wonderly Road. They're fucking. It's just like a great country band. It's like a oh, cool. like alt country band. He kind of did during 
before and during the pandemic. And Josh uh, is singing in that? Yeah, dude. He like wrote and sang all these songs. I had never he- heard him sing in wow. in all of our years growing up. I had never heard him sing until oh, until like two years, two or three years ago. Or wow, he how impressive. Is that, is that what he's up to out in the woods? Yeah, dude. He, he has his like, his garage is like converted into his little like music room. And that's yeah. where we practice still. Oh, to this okay. Day. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's very, he's very involved in music. Um, even if it's not Broadway calls, but that's Broadway awesome. Call, yeah, he's like, uh, he and Adam both come up with riffs. Um, and we've used, yeah, all their ideas. It's great. So with those, th- I mean, you have like a, how long is this musical relationship going on now? Like 25 years or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause we turn 40 this year. Wow. Yeah. So is and, there like a, I mean, I got to imagine there's like a shorthand between you two, you know, where you, you, you know, can you, can you like tell if you're in a room with Josh, can you tell he doesn't like something by his face? Oh, for sure. Or just, yeah, 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 yeah. I can tell, I can tell if, if like, if my idea is not killing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, but also, you know, he's like, if he, he's, it goes the other way too. Like, he's very encouraging when, when I have an idea, even if I'm not convinced of it. He's right, just like, right. no, that's the shit. That should be the chorus, you know, and we'll argue over like where a song, how to arrange songs and like, you know, that, that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, he's got great ideas, and he's a, and, we, and yeah, yeah. He's a very nice guy. And we've been yeah, we've been doing it for so long that it's just yeah. like at this point we're all very there's there's very little like tension in the room anymore when we're songwriting. Cool. Yeah, and and that's not always been the case, you know. Like, yeah, like, I kind of I kind of vaguely remember a little little Broadway calls tension. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean we've there's like been yeah there's been times where we just like have to. Uh, we, where it felt like we had to do it, you know, and it was mm. like really there was yeah. a lot of pressure on, and I think we just didn't handle that in the best way sometimes. But like now, it's sure. like now we we're like, all right, we just fucking got this. We got this formula down, you know. That's and it's awesome. not it's not easy to write songs or anything. It's right. still a challenge, but like we trust each other a lot in different ways now, you know. Yeah, it seems like in this time you took off you know, everybody sort of got a little more comfortable in their, in their own skin and, and how to do this in a, in a way that everybody likes, I guess. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, shout really out lucky. to Josh. He's shout a, out to Josh. a crazy drummer, really good drummer. I've still been trying to tell him not to hold his drumsticks like fucking axes. It makes sense <laughs> that he's like a homesteader now, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, <dude>. He's <laughs> out, he's out in the woods for sure. Yeah. Cause he, he always played drums in this like brutal way where I'm like, dude, you're fucking killing that symbol. Like take it easy on it. It's it, She'll be okay, you know. <laughs> he goes through so many symbols, dude. I like, know, he's such like a basher. every time we have to go somewhere, he's like, uh, "Yeah, we, I got to get a symbol before we go." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I got to get the insurance on it. It's the curse. It's the curse. <laughs> yeah. of it. Well, that's awesome. Shout out to Josh. Um, oh yeah. You know, I'm a big Bill Stevenson fan, as what well, whoever everybody is, um, or anybody with some sense is, right? Absolutely. Uh, and you did you did two records with Bill, right? Yeah, yeah, we're very lucky to be able to so, do those records. I mean, generally, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of overwhelming things from the experience, but is there any uh, fun 
or interesting uh, Bill Bill stories you got in your pocket from that? Oh my God, uh, Bill was Bill was and is one of the most interesting dudes I've ever met. Like right. I, I don't know if you've ever come across. Have you ever had a conversation with him before? I it, it was one of those like. You know, I think it's hard for people to believe since I do podcast hosting and stuff, but like Bill Stevenson's one of my personal idols in a lot of ways. And when he, we met each other, I had fucking, I had nothing to say, Yeah, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I was just like so intimidated and he's such an eccentric dude that like I met him and that was about it. Like it, it, we didn't really get into it that much. No. Yeah. He, he is. You know, it's, he's kind of hard to communicate with at times, to be honest. Because, oh, okay. like, even if you do know him, like, uh, but uh, when we, flew, you know, when we first flew out there, <laughs> he like he picked us up at the airport with like a bag full of like what's that fast food hot dog place? It's like a fast food hot dog place. Uh, Sonic? No, maybe it's like Wiener. It starts with like Wiener something. A Wiener Schnitzel. Is that it? Okay. I think I mean, that that's the it. one that's on Descendants Records and that 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 song <sighs> I like food as Welcome to Wiener Schnitzel. Okay. Um, I don't know what it was, but it was okay. a he showed up to the airport with a bag full of chili dogs for us. We never met the kid before. Like <laughs> like we were and, and he's and we had like an hour and a half ride from Denver up to Fort Collins where the blasting room is. And uh yeah, we got to know him over some chili dogs and uh <laughs> on the ride up. And he's just like such a wild dude. Like he, you know, we had never worked with a producer before when we right. went in with him. And, uh, I was very territorial, I guess, of the songs that, you know, I'd never, cause I was just right. like, this is sure. so weird. I, I, I don't know. Like, but quickly within like a day, I was like, obviously this guy's a fucking genius. You know, it's Bill Stevenson and he has sure. incredible ideas and, and just like a, like I truly think he's a musical genius, you know. Uh, he he can pick up any instrument and just shred. He can sing beautifully. I don't know, if, like a lot of people know that, but yeah, he's I had just no like, idea about that actually. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's a master of things. Um, but yeah, we did. <laughs> we've spent you know a total of five weeks of our life at the Blasting Room, and uh, I am I love that place and I love the people there. And Bill is just like. Uh, I don't know, man. He's he's a special person. I'm glad he, he is. I'm glad there's out being a band again. It's just he's like, because oh, yeah. when we met him in 2009, that was like the Descendants were not really a thing for right a while, and he wasn't very active musically. Uh, he was just doing a lot of Rise Against records, you know, which he still yeah. does. But like that was like, you know, what was really keeping the Blasting Room going, and um, and like. He seems just so much happier now. Yeah, he's a good dude. I love that that descendants are around for another generation because I felt like our generation got the second wave. Yeah, you know, like like we're the everything sucks generation. Absolutely, which is like our record. You yeah, know? yeah. And and then there was just this huge gap again, and then this like another generation of kids have like their records that are still awesome for like, sure. Every time I hear this new descendants, so I'm like, oh, it's great. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm still probably going to listen to Everything Sucks because I'm a shitty fan, you know. <laughs> no. I mean, they're, no they're still going to play those songs. They want you to hear exactly. that shit, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. That stuff's so good. We, uh, I mean, this is like something I have to say 
anytime I get a chance to say, but like one of the coolest things that ever happened to us as a band was, was meeting Bill and like, they took us to Japan. The descendants took us to Japan oh, one yeah. time for like a weekend of shows and it, it like four shows. And it was just like, unfucking real that that was happening to us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it was really, it, it, that didn't happen because we were like a hot band. It happened just because Bill liked us and he was being cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, awesome. like those guys are, all they want to do is just talk about music and hang out. And they're, they're all, everybody in that band is cool as fuck. It's crazy. Yeah. It seems like such a positive environment to be around. Yep. Yeah, it was, we were so lucky. Are there a lot of Milo punks in Japan where they're like kids showing up with the glasses and there's a lot, there, there's kids showing up with like their, uh, the Milo drawing face masks. What? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Dude, I have pictures oh, of, so of cool. me with like kids at these shows with like, they just show up with full face masks of the Milo drawing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, I, I appreciate that dedication so much. Yeah. So, you know, you took a, a long time off. You got these good records. What's going on with Broadway Calls now? What's what's the plan? Uh, now we are writing again. And, nice. uh, yeah, we have – the goal is just to put, like, a digital single out this year. You know, okay. like probably, like, sure. two songs. And maybe maybe on vinyl. I think the vinyl plant situation is all fucked up, though. I don't really yeah, – super fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah, last I heard, it's, like, a year wait or something. Yeah, yeah. you should probably – might be longer. You should probably put the order in now. <laughs> yeah, before the songs are written. That's uh-huh. that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we just have to write some shit, and then we'll probably have a digital single out before Fest, which we'll probably play again because we do a lot. <laughs> you know, like cool. right. you yeah. know, it's just it's just I I don't think I'm like letting the cat out of the bag. You know what I mean? It's just sure, right. it's pretty expected. How many um, fests have you done? Um, eleven. Oh, no way. Yeah, ten or eleven. <sighs> Yeah. Wow, you got to be up. Like, they really at this point they need to do some kind of like, like, like how they retire jerseys in, in like stadiums. <laughs> they really need to like credit the bands who have played ten plus times because there's it's got to be only a handful, right? Who do you think are the other ones who've done ten? I was, I was there when they gave the Menzingers a cake for playing their 10th. Oh, yeah. Know, that sure. was cool. That was Menzingers. cool. Uh, probably the Flatliners, I would assume. Yeah. They're always on. You know, maybe Hot Water at this point. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know how many times Against Me did it, you know? I think like Tim Barry might hold a record between both, you know, like between him and Avail. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There are definitely some people. Mikey Erg, yeah. Oh, Mikey's got to have like twenty-two. Yeah, he's yeah. got. He's probably got more times than there have been years of fest. <laughs> exactly. I assume yeah. he played in a multitude of bands while he was there. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, I think Broadway calls should get your uh, get the jersey retired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Someday we'll get out there. <laughs> um, wait, is the last thing? Oh man, I got thrown off. Look at that, Brad. Bad wow. interviewing. You see that? <laughs> it's all right. You're, it's uh, all right. You know, you're reminiscing. Your mind good. is wandering. Well, here's what happened. I'll just, I'll just own up to what happened, okay? Mm-hmm. Tell me. The most interesting thing I still have in my notes was the fact that you loved Slash and Guns N' Roses and that you rented your first guitar. But, <laughs> yeah. but in the like flow of the interview... You know, we're already out here in Broadway calls and what's the future. 
Yeah. So it's kind of a weird segue to just go back. I want to hear to about rent, well, dude, we're, renting we're the guitar. For Guns Roses. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause that, that guitar, part was yeah. interesting to me because I, yeah. I do have that dilemma. I mean, obviously I have plenty of instruments in my home where mm-hmm. it's not, it's not an issue, but that seems like a really smart thing to do, especially with how many like relics of drum sets past I've seen in like basements all around like the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dusty my parents drum sets. My parents were very smart about it when I said I wanted to start playing guitar because, you know, at that point I hadn't really stuck with anything for years on end other than baseball, you know, or like okay. riding my bike. Um, and so they rented an acoustic guitar from me from the local music store in Longview. Oh, I see. And and got me lessons and, you know, wanted to make sure I could like, uh, stick with it before the, I actually, they actually spent money on a guitar for me, you know, cause I was like nine when I started. And right. so, so yeah, it was, um, does, does the rental include like, like service? Like if you pop a string? Uh, it, oh, dude, I never popped a string, dude. I, 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 was, I don't know how long I had that guitar for. I don't remember. It was probably at least a year. Yeah. Was there and, a goal like if you get good enough to play this, you can we'll buy you a guitar? Yeah, but I never got to that goal. <laughs> it was it was like a specific song, um, but it, it, yeah, I just I never. Did. I mean, when I the first guitar riff that made me want to learn how to play guitar is from uh money for nothing by dire straits that that like opening guitar riff you know is just like (laughs) thank you yes exactly (laughs) like like that was like that like made me want to play guitar because i just because i love the way it sounded i still have never learned how to play that song because it's like (laughs) he's doing this weird like finger pick thing and i don't know how to finger pick uh you know how that guy is like he's like got a whole completely like i remember when i was learning guitar the my guitar teacher was kind of a real big fan of of those guys and he tried to talk about mark Knopfler. mark that's right right. that's right he tried to teach me how to play the the solo to sultans of swing Uh (laughs) and this is my guitar teacher's like a fan and at some point in the lead he goes he gets we get to this like you know two thirds of the way through and he's like, well that's as far as I can go. I don't even know what he's doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that dude is. Uh, that was my first concert ever. Was him and Eric Clapton. Wow, oh, really? And I was six years old. Yeah, my mom. Wait, they performed and, together. Yeah, they performed together. Um, like actually, it wasn't like he was opening for him. They were they were just played together the whole show. It was wild. I uh, I put on a Cream record the other day in mixed company. And immediately realize I'm like, oh shit, am I not allowed to do this anymore? I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, I, I'm like, Clapton is Clapton in full on. Like, okay, if it comes on in private, I'll listen to it. But you can't listen to it in public anymore. Yeah, it's Clapton's in Morrissey lands right now, dude. Yeah, problematic. <laughs> problematic. Yeah. Well, I do think it's semi entertaining that he was like, usually probably like he said like an awfully racist thing, like when we were kids and didn't know. So then we like uh, yeah. sort of accepted him as he was okay. Like by the time like tears in heaven is out and shit, we're like, Oh, <laughs> look at this old, nice British guy. Like he's cool. <laughs> yeah. It took like another 10 years. To f- oh, Oh, okay. He's, he's not cool at all. 
Yeah, the MTV Unplugged is what we grew up with, where he's just this right. gent- gentle old Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah, we're like, look at this finger. He, look, this guy probably, yeah, he probably uh, bakes bread at home and, and lights candles. Like, he's that guy, so gentle. Yeah. That guy's never done cocaine. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Oh, it's amazing. It took that long to piece it together. I actually, I saw, I saw two people getting like a proper fight about Eric Clapton recently. Someone Damn. with an Eric Clapton tattoo because it was like their, like a family member's like favorite band, and then some person being like, "Well, your family members are racist." Then <laughs> oh, shit. got ugly fast. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, I can imagine. One. Not a good one. All right, <laughs> Ty, that was fun. I'm glad we got to catch up. See, this is why I love going off track because. When would me and you have gone on the phone for an hour, you know? Seriously, thank you so much, Benny. Even though you didn't ask me one fucking question about myself. You know? <laughs> no. What a shitty one-sided conversation. <laughs> That's that. true. That's a true Jeez. interview. Jeez. I love no. being interviewed by you, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fun. That was super fun. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. That squirrel can water ski. <laughs> Dude, my friend Kyle Rogendorf, <laughs> who I actually think is going to have a going off track episode fairly soon. Okay. Because I think we need to bring back a road dog episode. Oh, yeah. Love and those my episodes. Buddy Kyle Rogendorf is the perfect for it. But this is part of the reason. Sends me an image before, full fi tattoo of Ron fucking Burgundy. <laughs> it is majestic. <laughs> he, he got it. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He's one of those people who's like so covered he could give a fuck anymore. Right, you know, right, like right, right. Any real estate is good real estate for him. Right. But he sends me the picture of just a full, beautiful Ron Burgundy portrait. It please, is. Please tell me it's on his ass. I think it, it looks like a thigh. I think his ass is already covered. But I write OMG. That is absolutely legendary. And he goes, "I'm kind of a big deal." So Kyle will be on soon, but man, is that good. That's good. But uh, man, thanks to Ty for coming on with us. That was a fun, fun walk down a uh, memory lane, mm-hmm. trying to get some knowledge about the logging industry. You know? Ah, yeah. It's nice to, to, to touch base with that part of the country, you know. It is. It is. I for feel sure. like there's a very, uh, a certain breed in the Northwest. They got their own thing, you know, and uh, Broadway calls a good group. Glad they're playing again. This oh, new yeah. stuff is good. And uh, everybody should check out old old and new stuff. Brad, what do you got going on rest of the night? Are you in your uh, silk pajamas yet? 
I'm not. I suppose I might be editing and mixing a podcast this evening, perhaps. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that might. That's going to keep me busy for probably most of the rest of the evening. How about you? Oh, how about me? Well, I'm going to put the kids to bed. I'm going to make some food. Uh, Do you have any? I'm going to co- look at some some box scores in the NBA. I'm going to read some articles of stories. I have some Wikipedia wormholes I want to go down. Did you uh, Did you watch the football game yesterday or? The, uh, the Super Bowl? <laughs> I saw the Super Bowl. I thought it was very entertaining. How about that halftime um, show? I loved it. Yeah. It, it was, was great. It was one of the best in a while. I do. I Have you seen the uh, the vitriol from, from the youth? No. So they're, they're basically like, this was like the worst, like, boomer halftime show with all these old fucks. <laughs> Who's Mary J. Blige? Really, no really way. mean stuff from these kids, you know? Well, I'll have you these, know. <laughs> these machine gun Kelly enthusiasts. I'll have you know that upset, you know? my 14-year-old, who is pretty tuned in, she loved it. She thought it was awesome. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I did have to say I was surprised. I even dissed it a little because I was like, oh, yeah, Dre's leading off. He's not really a rapper. You know, so I was a dick about that too. But no, I thought it was good and fun and, you know, everything a spectacle a Super Bowl should be. Yeah, man. Um, can I tell you the the biggest upside of the Super Bowl was I hosted a Super Bowl party with uh-huh. some of my family. Okay. Got a lot of food, good cheesecakes. It was a very nice day. But at one point, I found myself jamming music with all three of my nieces and two of my children all at once. Ah! Nice. I only have, excuse me, I only have two children. Not to say <laughs> I have four thousand. The other one was up in the attic. No, uh, with, with everyone. And dude, it was like one of the most magical experiences I've ever had. I've like watched all these little creatures since they were babies and we're sitting in a room fucking playing music together. It blew my mind. It was, it was so nice, dude. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, that was great. So that was the highlight of my Super Bowl more than, uh, more than the bungles. That was your Super Bowl party? You know what? I should have, you know, this is where I'm bad at, at self-promoting, Brad. I I picked the Rams to win the Super Bowl, not only on the Tune Up podcast, but also when I wrote that article for Spin.com, like the preseason, uh, you know. Yeah. And I go ahead and go on Twitter and say I'm rooting for the Bengals. <laughs> Like the day before when I should have been like, look at me. I predicted the whole season. I'm a media magnate. Oh, you know, (laughs) but I'm bad at that stuff. (laughs) Speaking of being a media magnate, if you hadn't heard, we have a Patreon. Yeah. uh, Brad posts saucy and sexy content too. And we do a a weekly chat. That's where we learned about our uh, good buddy, Neil, slicing open animals in the middle of the forest. (laughs) Or in his kitchen table. If you are interested in the program on a deeper level and you'd like to get to know Brad on a much more intimate level, <laughs> you can join up to our Patreon <laughs> and give us some money and we'll take the money and we'll give you uh, some stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, is what, that, that's how it whatever works. Whatever you Commerce. want. Commerce. Commerce. Something like that. And if you like the show, uh, please leave a sexually suggestive review on a... <laughs> On the wherever you get your podcast, your cho- wherever you get your podcast, just make sure to keep it sexy and covered in hot oils whenever you do it. You know. <laughs> and um, what are you chuckling about over there? Yeah. I know you go, you go from six to midnight every time I talk about this. I know you do. 
we didn't drop any socials, but uh, oh, it's pretty right. easy to figure out Broadway calls on Instagram and Twitter. Um, definitely check out the new record and the old uh, as Benny is vouching for them very strongly and should. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got us going off track at everywhere you get your media. So go there. Go there. Everywhere you get your media. <laughs> and let's climb some mountains. Yeah.